If you're a pop culture junkie who loves TV, film, music, comedy, and other really important stuff, then you've come to the right place. Get ready and settle in for Classic Conversations, the best pop culture interviews in the world. That's right, we circled the globe so you don't have to. If you're ready to be the king of the water cooler, then you're ready for Classic Conversations with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. All right, Susan, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. You get the show going each and every week, and this week was no exception. Welcome, everybody, to episode 152 of Classic Conversations. As always, I am your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Great to have you back for another classic throwback episode. That's right, we're going to a simpler time in the 1970s with our guest today, Cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch. That's right, Robbie Rist is here. We're talking Brady's, and we're talking, oh, so much more. Robbie Rist is an amazing musician and voiceover artist as well. Loved him as Michelangelo in all the live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. That's right, that was Robbie Rist's voice, rocking that turtle shell. We're talking Galactica 1980. We're talking Sharknado. We're talking so much. Get ready to go Brady with Cousin Oliver himself, Robbie Rist, and that's coming up in just a few seconds. In these few seconds, I do want to plug the previous episodes. I hope you loved my conversation with B.J. Tanner, episode 151. B.J. Tanner, of course, star of The Orville, Grey's Anatomy, and Station 19. Check out that amazing interview with B.J. Tanner, current child star, Robbie Rist, former child star. While we're on that theme, don't forget about Christian Ganier, 10 from Stranger Things. Also a child star on the rise. That's episode 148. So if you want to have a past and future child star extravaganza, 148, 151, and then episode 152 with Robbie Rist. Also last week, Gary Kroger from Saturday Night Live. We talked Saturday Night Live in the 80s. Awesome conversation. So check out the whole back catalog of classic conversations. We've got a lot of them and they're all classic. All right. Well, without further ado. My conversation with Robbie Riss is coming up right now. We're talking Big John, Little John. We're talking sad songs from the 70s. And, of course, we're going deep into the Brady Bunch and the mythos of Robbie Riss destroying the entire series as Cousin Oliver. True or false? We go deep in it, and then you can decide for yourself. All right. Enough intrigue. Here's my conversation with Robbie Riss. All right, everyone. I'm excited to introduce you to actor, musician voiceover artist, composer, fly in the ointment. I got that off your website. Yeah. Okay. He loved him. It's cousin Oliver and the Brady Bunch and Michelangelo and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Robbie Rist. Robbie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. This is awesome. I'm so excited. You're like one of those, uh, just classic stars, you know, you tell them anyone's like, who are you talking to? I'm talk- no, oh. no. Yeah, you know, if I talk to no. anyone, if I go, hey, I'm talking to Cousin Oliver, they go, Cousin Oliver. <laughs> I'm not Larry Storch. I'm not Forrest Whitaker. I'm not anyone named Forrest Gump. 
anyone. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, yeah, I was talking to somebody about my voiceover, and I use this as an upended commas career of late. And it seems like my entire career is not one of, oh, there's a, there goes that successful actor guy. It's pretty much like, I guess nobody else answered the phone. So they went, who else do we got? How about him? And that's basically how I sort of see myself. I'm like the wacky neighbor of entertainment. <laughs> well, I mean, kind of, I feel like not grown up with you, but like, I, you know, I watched, I've seen you since I was so young, watch TV to me. And you like, you have tons of credit. You have 156 IMDb credit. I mean, that's, you've done a lot, Robbie Rist, a lot. Yeah, but it all, it's all kind of like, I don't know if aside from looking like John Denver or Paul Williams, I was ever what you would call a marketable look. I was never skinny and red haired enough to be a skinny red haired kid, which was like a big thing around the time that I was becoming an actor. And also I wasn't fat enough to be the fat kid. So pretty much like anytime they needed like somebody who was, I think the word quirky does apply. If they needed like a quirky sidekick in some way, like be they a computer genius or just sort of an oddball that the only friend the protagonist has is this person, I'm that this person. I mean, I'm not complaining by any stretch of the imagination because I think I've done some really awesome stuff. But yeah, I, I hardly see myself as like really a successful actor. Kim Richards is a successful actor. Well, she is now. Do you know who Kim Richards is? <laughs> Um, I might by face. Kim Richards started her life as, as a kid performer like myself. She was in Escape from Witch Mountain. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. She for was sure. in Nanny and the Professor, an incredibly heartbreakingly beautiful little blonde girl. And now she's just kind of, she's not unattractive now, but it's more heartbreaking because she's one of the real housewives of Orange County. Got it. But I don't know. I, I, I think I was being facetious there too. You're going to run into that a lot during this next however much time we're spending together. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, but, but like Ron Howard, there you go. There's a successful child performer. You know, that's like, oh my gosh, that's a success. Hell, I'll even say Haley Joe Osment, even though he's done infinitely less work than I have, he's wildly more successful than I am. Well, given the time you started and your run rate to right now, you've, you've accomplished and accumulated lots of cool stuff along the way. I've done some stuff. There's no yeah. doubt. I mean, more so than, right, even though it's just for a second, assume that you're right and maybe you're not the biggest. But if you were to line up all of them, you're right at the top percent. I mean, a lot of people just kind of came and went, maybe had their one column. I think Allison Arndrum kicks my ass all well, over but you, the I'm saying, but you of know. all the people out there, you're in <laughs> the top percent. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, I'm just going to fight it. <laughs> Let me love you. <laughs> Stop loving me. I hate it. I say that to my wife all the time. Stop loving me. Oh, man. You just won't. Frustrating. All right. Well, <laughs> so, Robbie, before Brady Bunch, how did you even get into acting? I know you did like Love American Style. You did uh, Emergency prior to that. Yeah. What was the whole origin there? A love of the 1930s Universal Horror movies, specifically The Wolfman with Lon Chaney Jr. I was like, anytime those movies were on, we used to have, uh, where are you located, Jeff? Just outside Detroit, Michigan. Okay, you're outside of Detroit. So in Los Angeles, where I grew up, the local, we had three local channels, four, we had four local channels, 13, 11, 9, and 5. And Channel 5 on Sundays would have this guy, Tom Haddon, who used to show 
those horror movies, he would also show The Little Rascals and he was, you know, kind of an, and so whenever those movies were on, I was glued to the television and I, uh, I began telling my parents, I want to be in a monster movie. And my parents who had nothing to do with entertainment at all. My dad, an electronics engineer, uh, you know, my mom ended up being a florist, nothing to do with entertainment at all. I'm like, I want to be in a monster movie. And they're like, why don't you just be in one in your room? I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. I don't want to just pretend like I'm in a monster movie in my room. I want to be in a monster. And I had said it enough times that it eventually just became, I want to be in a movie. And apparently I became so unbearable to live with. (laughs) They hatched a plan. They're like, they looked for this cattle call where there was going to be like 200 kids for this thing. And they're like, he's going to see how much competition there is. It's going to be boring, you know, whatever, you know, and, and, you know, it took an hour to get in. And my parents were like, you want to go home yet? I'm like, no, 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 I'm fine. I, I can wait this out. And I got the job. Well, I did the job. And then I told my parents, that was super fun. I'd really like to do that again. And they looked at each other with terror in their eyes and said, well, we can't say no now. So simple solution. It had to be beginner's luck. Cattle call to here we go. 200 kids, me, I get the job. Now they can't say no if I want it. So they get me, uh, they get me an agent, take some pictures. And I'm about, I don't know, I'm about six jobs, seven jobs in a row that I've picked up before I don't get one. And all that really did is just make me to go, oh, really? You don't get everyone? Watch this. And I did 180 commercials in my first three years of doing it. Not bad for an unsuccessful actor. Nice job. Uh, well, yeah, but that was, you know, that was when I didn't know what I was doing. It all went to shit the second I started figuring it out. Uh, well, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, I'm not but yeah, and then I, you know, and then from then on in, it was things. I mean, I worked with both Jonathan Winter do you know who Jonathan Winters is? Yes, of course. Okay. What about Mickey Rooney? Of course. I met Mickey I Rooney once. I met really? Mickey Rooney. Yes, he was in a city in, near me called Birmingham, Michigan. They used to have a, a place where they did plays, a theater where they did plays. Uh-huh. And we have the Townsend Hotel, which is like, I don't know if like all the sports people stay there, but it's like the fanciest, fanciest hotel. So whenever we'd have sports people in, they'd stay there or celebrities come in, they stay at the Townsend Hotel. And I was walking and he was playing the wizard in the Wizard of Oz at this theater. And I'm like, he just happened to be standing there. I'm like, like Mr. Rooney. And like, I only count people that I met if I shake their hand, like not just in the vicinity. And so, I mean, I consider us because we're spending an hour together. So that's my exception, <laughs> even though we cannot touch. <laughs> but I always shook his hand and he was cordial. And I was like, and I went on my way. <laughs> Oh, right on. What year is that? Oh, it was, I'm bad with time frames. So I'll say it was last week, but no, it was like decades ago. It was decades ago, I'm sure. Okay. You know, yeah. wondering how, how mobile he was at the time. And I think it was towards later. It was much really later old. in his life for sure. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So like I'd work with all these crazy people and then that Brady thing happened and then, which really wasn't even anything until it went into syndication. Mostly I just did it and then it was over and then it went into syndication and that's where it sort of developed its kind of kitschy veneer that it carries around now. Let's talk about that thing, that Brady Bunch thing for a second. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> this is one of the things where, you know, if, if I say, you know, Cousin Oliver, everyone immediately knows who you are, which is interesting in itself because there's what, there's only like 117 episodes, right? And you're only in six. In syndication, they might mix them up. I don't know if they play them in order. But also in syndication and like, well, we need to break up this syndication 
syndication thing you're talking about into a couple of pieces. First, there was just syndication where you had 100 episodes of something and you could then rerun it. Well, the buy for Brady Bunch was for, in most markets, almost every market, it was 7 a.m., 2 p.m., and 7 p.m. And it was on three times a day. And that means it was on before school, it was on just after school, and then it was on just after dinner. And there were people who grew up doing their homework, getting ready for school. They get home, they flip the TV on. I mean, that was definitely the 80s, you know? Right, right, right. And this show was never out of syndication. And even now, it's on, I mean, I don't know if it still is, but it was on MeTV for a bunch of years and Nick at Night and all of, and so generations of people now have had contact with it multiple times. So it kind of ingrained itself into the culture sort of like a uh, you know like when you have a drink on the table without a coaster you know <laughs> after a while there's just a ring there can't get rid of it <laughs> can't get rid of it now you sand it down still there hey everyone just need to take a quick break i want to thank everyone for their support of the sponsors when you support the sponsors you're supporting us here classic conversations and that's how we keep the lights on want to support the show follow us on your favorite podcast app give us a five-star review etc etc and now that quick break and now we're back with our conversation with robbie wrist Talking Brady Bunch syndication and about to dive into the mythos of Cousin Oliver destroying the Brady Bunch. And we're back. It's interesting because, you know, I was doing some research on on all this because it's just it's interesting. The perception you have, the mythos that gets created and all that about Cousin Oliver ruining the show. It gets canceled because of Cousin Oliver and all that kind of stuff. And if you dig in even for half a second, which most people don't because people just love the, the drama version more. Yeah, they it, love the outrage. Right. It's not even close to that <laughs> at all. Yeah, no, no, no. If anything, the show was on its way out after Hawaii. But hey, you know what, though? Print the legend, baby. If I'm the one who killed the Brady Bunch, I'm embracing it. Right. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Bring it on. Robbie Riss, taker downer of shows. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, look, there is a photo of the love boat. And in the same frame is me and Ted McGinley. Now, if all of existence didn't end at that particular moment, all of this shit's bullshit. Exactly, right, because Ted has got that same kind of rep. Any show he goes right. on and, and takes it down like the Titanic. In this case either, because I think he was on Married with Children for like 10 years or something. Right, he and, was, and he was on Happy Days, too. And he was on, yeah. So I think both of our, uh, you know, both of what we're guilty of, we're not really guilty of, but I will take the mantle of series killer because it's way better than, well, he seemed like a nice guy. Like who wants that? <laughs> so it's why I, I started, I wanted to rewatch a couple of the episodes and Hulu has almost everything, but in of your six, they're missing two. I guess they didn't <laughs> have the rights to them. 18 and 20 are missing. And so just so uh, to recap for everyone who doesn't specifically remember the origin, Oliver, cousin Oliver, son of Carol's brother, Jack, his wife, Pauline, they're heading out to South America. Of course, Cousin Oliver needs schooling, so he has to stay with the Bradys. <laughs> it's child abuse. Right. It's, right. We're just going to dump the kid off with the in-law. Right. But the, the subtext was all the kids are getting old and we need to bring in a young blood to help uh, kind of create new storylines and... We're kind of, we need, we need help. It's season five, it's season six and we need help. (laughs) 
pretty much that's what it is. I, there was a it once uh, you know web 1.0 started becoming a thing and you could look at you couldn't look at movies yet but there was a lot of text and pictures and there was a website called jumptheshark.com kind of where all this started really right right like, right and so it's they had different pages for different endings you know different things that killed different shows right when the show jumped the shark so there was a page called new kid in town which was bringing the adorable moppet into the end of a failing family show and it was my picture up there pretty much for the entire run of the website and all these sort of you know kitschy new computer mavens were uh, you know they again they had to watch it in reruns and then they had to watch it on the internet. So again, I was that ring on the table. Even better than new kid in town syndrome that web point one, 1.0 may have done. It actually has a different term, which is cousin Oliver syndrome. <laughs> okay. That came even after that. Yeah. Okay. And how amazing is it? I mean, there's a couple of things that, you know, I, Okay, I will never have the cultural impact of any of Michelangelo or any of his churches. Those things are just like, basically, in the culture, Michelangelo said, here is my footprint. (laughs) And we now go, holy sheep shit, Michelangelo, right? Well, can I swear, by the way? Yeah, you're good, go. Okay, Uh, well, shit, that's great. So, So I'll never have that kind of, cultural gravitas you know however uh, there was a uh, burger place in boston be good and i don't know if they if they have changed the name by now but they had a hamburger named after cousin oliver and there there and there's cousin oliver syndrome which still is out there you know i have google ego searched you know alerted to the term cousin oliver or you know any of those things just to sure. say because for years I was getting these prompts like blah 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 new running back for the blah 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 blahs must be the new cousin Oliver. And like that has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with the show. It barely has anything to do with the character. And yet it's sort of leapt out into me. It's like when people stopped calling Jack Nicholson Jack Nicholson and just started calling him Jack. It kind of became its own. It, it's its own thing, right? It's a, like the the myth is great. I also I find I just as I was digging up trivia, the Partridge family also added a cute four year old boy named Ricky. Well, no, no, but no, no. Uh, they added Doty to uh, my my three sons. Well, this was they right added, around the same time as Cousin Oliver. I mean, I like, think the, I think the OG, the original gangsta new kid in town is uh, is little Ricky. I think when they brought him in. To the Lucy show, I think uh, somewhere a network executive got slightly aroused and said, wait a minute, I think we can make money from this. Right. right. So somehow it just got completely pinned on you, which it sounds like you wear with a badge of honor. And why not? Hell yeah. What are you kidding? A nine-year-old brought down a television dynasty? Bring it. Hell yeah. It's funny because when you start to really kind of look at it, and I, you know, you like you said, it went into syndication and it became what we know as the Brady Bunch today. But during its original run, had marginal ratings. Yeah. 
only one time at its peak hit number 34 was never renewed for a whole season um, until its last season on the air It was usually 13 episodes 13 episodes so that nobody ever knew if the show was continuing and then even interesting enough the very last show which your character actually says the last line of the show <laughs> before it goes out Robert Reed didn't even refuse to be in that episode because of such horrible uh, story <laughs> mm-hmm. well also in the man's defense, you know, here's a guy who he was trained doing Shakespeare in the park and, uh, you know, sort of spend his entire acting, this period of his acting career going, well, kids, I think you should just go to bed then. Yeah, I must have been like, Ugh. and then when the storylines get really dumb, he's probably like, oh, God, I, please don't let this be my career. Because, you know, it turns out that after that show, he becomes a really great character actor. There's a lot of television. I worked with him uh, a year or so after Brady Bunch on a uh, television show called Lucan with Kevin Brophy, who I believe is still, I think he just recently was in something in the last 10 years or so. But uh, Lucan was a television show about a boy who was raised by wolves and now he wanders the countryside like the Incredible Hulk, saving the lives of uh, of people with problems. And uh, and he's and he's great in it. And he's in Battlestar Galactica. And he's you know he shows up in a lot of stuff. And he's actually really really good. It must have been very frustrating for him. Yeah, he was great. It seems like you worked with them like those two times, but you worked with uh, the Schwartzes, Sherwood Schwartz and Lloyd Schwartz, a bunch after as well. I mean, this was yeah. But wait, let me wait one more thing. I. I wanted to, uh, I thought it was interesting. I still think it's interesting that it's all timing, right? The Brady Bunch is getting, is probably going to get canceled anyway. They happen to put you on the show with those six to go. It gets canceled. Likely it was probably already canceled by the time you even got on there, or at least it was, you know, in the boardroom, I mean. Yeah. And so I watched, they didn't do you any favors. I mean, when I say you, I mean your character, because I watched the first episode and man, they do everything to make you like you ruin uh, Jan's painting, you catch up all over. Greg. <laughs> I mean, you caused a lot of havoc when they introduced you into the Well, show. you know, the, it's a funny thing that, I mean, actually, if you watch it, it's really sad. It's a really sad episode because this little guy is trying so, all of the things that happen are because he's trying to get everyone to like him. And I mean, this led me down a, I don't know if it's, you know, I, I don't think it's for me to take my in up ended commas career apart and look at all of the pieces. However, it seems to me that I really was good at selling pathetic. Like in a lot, like I was always a kid in trouble. I did a TV movie called Having Babies. They were going to make a TV series out of this series of movies with Susan Sullivan where she played a OBGYN. And, you know, I played a adopted kid with you know emotional issues and you know he's tried to be good but he just can't you know i this is this seems to be the uh the thing i like i wish i would have known about branding back then i probably could have cleaned up well you know i mean you played characters that i think resonated with probably more people than the other six brady's did i think there's a lot more cousin olivers out there than the rest you know that and so I think that's probably. Oh, I what, don't know. Actually, so many people. I, I, let's see, how many kids in your family? And my, I just have a one other brother. Okay, so you will never know the dynamic of the young, the middle oldest. And are you the youngest? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. What the hell are you doing an arty thing for? That's for the youngins to do. <laughs> the hell are you doing? You're I don't screwing know. up the entire. You're screwing up the entire study. <laughs> oh well. 
I mean, I have been told by so many people, one of the funny things about being involved with this show is because it is so much a fantasy of a family life, there are a lot of people out there who had terrible family lives who disappeared into the Brady Bunch. They the, the Brady Bunch was almost like their real family, or at least that's the one they wanted to have. So people who approach me, it usually starts the same way. They always go, you know, I've always wanted to tell you this. And I don't know if Mel Gibson gets people going, you know, I've always wanted to tell you this. I don't think you were wearing underwear in, you know, Braveheart, but whatever it is that they would say. But for me, it's like, I've always wanted to talk to you. Uh, Okay. And then it's this heavy story about how the show transformed their lives. And so there are a ton of people from multi-kid families who, like, the families didn't all get along, and they would come to these autograph conventions and tell these incredibly heartbreaking, heartfelt stories, and it always ends with, yeah, the Brady Bunch, you know, sort of made me go, look, if they can do it, I can. Somebody broke their back hiking, and they made a promise, the doctor said they would never walk again. And they made a promise to themselves that they weren't going to want, when they got out of the hospital, when they walked out of that hospital, the first thing they were going to do is go home and binge watch the entire run of that show. So it's, uh, I don't know how, how I ended up going down this path. I think you were talking about, oh yeah, we were just talking about how that family died. There's a lot of Olivers out there. Right, right. I think there's a lot of Jans. I think there's a crap ton of Jans out there. I think I think there's a lot of Jans, Peters. I don't know there's a lot of uh, Gregs. You know, I mean, Greg is everybody. So I guess Greg would be everybody. But I think there's a lot of Peters. There's a lot of Jans. I think there's a lot of Bobbies. Maybe not so many Cindy's. Some of them, because, you know, Cindy, I, I because I know Susan, I know that Cindy Brady, as an adult, would look back at herself and go, oh, my God, I was an idiot. No, I agree. I agree. There's a bunch. You know, there's each one of those is probably an archetype for someone. I only pointed yeah. out you because I'm talking to you. <laughs> no, no, I understand completely. But again, I, you know, I'm trying to move the focus away. No, Just no, to get I get into it. a discussion about something. No, it's me, 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 who gives a no. crap? Where's the money? That's what I want to know. <laughs> that was a very interesting uh, point of view. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it completely, but it is interesting, and it must be really kind of neat for you to when people come up to you or any any of the folks on that show and 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 are told that. Sorry to interrupt this amazing conversation with Robbie Riss, but we have to take a quick break. And we're back with Robbie Rist. Robbie was about to dive into how he came to terms with embracing his Brady past. And we're back. For a long time, I was a little irritated with the Brady Bunch because I I had a concern going into my late 20s, into my 30s, that like that 18-year-old or, or that 40-year-old former football player who only has that one night where he won the game for state. I I was afraid that the Brady Bunch was my 18-year-old night at and ultimately it was a dumb TV show. This is old me talking. This is dumb TV show and it's the one thing everybody knows me from and I feel like that's all it's ever going to be and god 
damn it, you know, this thing. And then this dude walked up to me and said, uh, you know, my mom worked a whole bunch of jobs when I was a kid. And he goes, I was in an apartment locked in there from like two in the afternoon when I got home from school until 6.30 or 7 when my mom got home. And he said the episodes of the Brady Bunch that had me in them kind of helped him get through that time because he recognized this as another kid trapped in a world he didn't make either. And I went, ah, it's a lot heavier than the show would imply that this really light family television show could have that sort of effect on someone's life. And uh, I found it really profound. And then the more I thought about it, you know, you were talking about how people still know Cousin Oliver. The thing about that Brady show is the themes that they traffic in are very universal. So everything that happens to the middle kid and all, and they're all very simple. They're all very, you know, don't lie. It's, it's all real basic stuff. And so anybody, I was in Spain, in Madrid, I'm getting ready to go play a gig at the Wurlitzer Ballroom. And kids walk up to me and start yelling at me in Spanish. And my Spanish, even though I'm from Los Angeles and I did take eight years of the language, my Spanish is very spotty because I never practiced. But I did understand the words Brady Bunch. And I, come on, that's it's now leaping out of my culture into somebody else's. That's, uh, that's now, now, mind you, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do really with the Schwartzes and how they did their thing. But I couldn't be more honored to be along for the ride. That is very cool. That is very yeah, cool. It's amazing. Were you not asked or chose not to participate in the 50 million Brady projects that came after? Never asked. Never asked. Well, that's unfortunate. I think overall, the culture of the Brady's, meaning, you know, everybody from the creators on down, they don't, I don't think they really see the character as being really, you know, it's sort of a, a footnote to the show rather than being a part of it, which is also fine. I'm not like, why am I a footnote? But you would have, if had they been renewed, you wouldn't have been that footnote because you would have been part of it, potentially yeah, a whole other yeah, thing. Yeah, I could have, so. should have, would have. Yeah, but universe. the Schwartzes, you know, must like you. I mean, they like. Well, I mean, they, they use me. They use me on Big John, Little John. So, right. I mean, you know, they. I don't think they had an issue with my skill. Right, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, it, they must have respected you as an actor. Maybe it's just as they're just keeping the the cousin Oliver character out of it. They didn't bring Tiger back either. So, I'm just kidding. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if you ask me, Tiger had the best post Brady career. He's in A Boy and His Dog. I know you're 11, so you don't understand the cultural significance of what I'm talking. Boy and His Dog. Do you know what this is? Go ahead. Jeff, God damn. Well, Tiger died real early, though. At least the original one, right? So Boy and His Dog is a film, 1975, written by Harlan Ellison. You don't know who that is. Look him up, too. It's a futuristic science fiction film with Don Johnson about a young man uh, walking a post-apocalyptic dystopian wasteland with his dog, who is telepathic, and they have a deal. The human finds the dog food, and the dog finds the guy women, and it goes from there. And the dog in it is Tiger. That is, like, I'll never be that cool in a way that I'll never be in the shags cool. I'll just never be that cool. Galactica 1980 cool. Come on. Do we have to talk about the shags now, Jeff? Do we? <laughs> All right. Let's let's move on to maybe some things I do know. So the um <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you're in Big John, Little John. That was a uh, Fountain of Youth show. That was back in the days when theme songs told you the whole story. 
Oh yeah, uh, I miss the television theme song. I yeah. do. I miss it. I think it was a great, even if it wasn't one that described everyone, but to this day, I could go ba da 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 to this day. Exactly. You know? And like, I don't know what's the uh, what's the theme song to Modern Family? Probably nothing. Right, just some music, something. That, yeah. Think- Seinfeld was a kind of a, a, a more of a tune. Seinfeld but. had a little, and the old friends that you know, we may have witnessed kind of the end of that era then. Oh yeah. I think, I think that's, that's pretty much over. You know, which is too it, bad. Now, it, now it's, if it's done, it's done, you know, in a, we're living in such post, 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 post modern times that nothing is done unironically. Everything has a wink. Like everyone's too afraid to actually feel things. So everything has to have the out of, we were being funny. <laughs> Get it? Joe. Yeah. That's where our, it's where our culture has ended up. Nobody really, I was talking on my Facebook about, I, you know, I put out these crazy things and hope people respond. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Like Allie, my wife and I, we were in the car listening to the 70s radio station and a song by a Canadian artist named Harry Chapin came on the air called Cats in the Cradle. It's a a story about a kid who uh, keeps trying to engage with his dad, but his dad's always too busy. And then when his dad gets to the point that he wants to hang out with his now grown son, his grown son's now too busy. And it's very treacly. It's very sloppily sentimental. And I don't, I think only bro country approaches that now. And even that is not without some reserve of completely letting go. Like being treacly isn't a thing anymore because I think culturally speaking, there's too much emphasis on not feeling things. There's too much emphasis on, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm I'm not feeling your thing all the way because that's manipulation. And I'm like, yeah, manipulate me. Come on. Can't listen to cats in the cradle without crying a river. Come on. But yeah, but you're supposed to, you know, I have a, a seventies pop song review band that I do called cousin Oliver's cavalcade of hits. And we only do the bad songs from the seventies of which, you know, we play that little undercover angel. One of my favorites, actually one of my favorite songs of the 70s is a follow-up single to a somewhat known song that they actually had. Oh, you, you might know this, Jeff. It was on Glee. That's probably within your time frame. It's uh, Run, Joey, Run is the name of the song. And it's uh, a, a heartwarming piece of, uh, of of theater where a young man is gets a call from his underage girlfriend in the middle of the night. Her father has just found out that they've done it and he's got a gun. And so the kid gets in his car to drive over to his girlfriend's house. Sidebar wouldn't be my first choice, but he does anyway. He drives to her house and the father ends up shooting his own daughter. Okay. Now, great piece of material. When I was like 11 or whenever it came out, it like I was freaked out by it because it was so like sad. Well, I bought the single, of course, because it made me so sad. It's why I like the Wolfman too. Because it made me so sad. Do you see a pattern emerging? Yes, you like to be sad. (laughs) So uh, the follow-up single is called Blind Man in the Bleachers. And it's about a third-string football player who's never going to play. And his father, who's blind, sits at the very top of the bleachers by the speakers waiting to hear his kid's name. And the team is losing terribly. The kid comes back late from halftime and tells the coach, 
you have to let me play. And he goes in and he wins the game. And the last line of the song is the coach asks him, like, how'd you play so well? And he goes, you knew my dad was blind, he said. Tonight he passed away. It's the first time that my father's seen me play. Oh, oh. so good. Oh, man. That's, uh... <laughs> Nobody wants to feel that anymore. Nobody wants to hear that coming out of their radio. And I think they're losing out because of it. I am mad at you for one small reason, and that's that you were right. You can be mad at me for lots I of did, I did know that song because of Glee. <laughs> 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 I usually know like older songs, at least pretty decent. Like I'm a big Harry Chapin fan. I got tons of him on oh, L- really? yeah. LP and stuff like that. And that one I did know because of Glee. <laughs> yeah, and it must have been season one of Glee or something like that. Because at some point I stopped watching it. <laughs> yeah, well, so there you go. Yeah, right. no, it's true. I, I I think there's a lot of that out there. That you know, I mean, even we were talking about. I mean, look, there is a terrible 70s singer-songwriter scumbaggery at foot, or uh, afoot, where a lot of these songs are like, hey, I'm a sensitive singer-songwriter guy, and I'm trying to put the moves on you, but don't fall in love with me. There's a lot of this kind of stuff that goes on. But, you know, they were like a lot more, uh, the the seduction part of it was was less, let's just get down to business, and it was really about the buildup mostly. Where now, like, and I think in the new time that we live in, I think it's actually really cool that if a couple's going to get together, there's very little pretense about it anymore. It's sort of like, Look, we know that sex is on the plate. Do you want to or not? And that is sort of how it kind of comes out in modern popular material. But it's it's definitely not as, you know, it's not as coy anymore. And maybe I shouldn't put my hand under your sweater, that kind of thing. Music today, kids. Hey, you know. yeah, I'm, an old, I'm an old man yelling at clouds. It's what I do. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have this, uh, I have a podcast called The Spoon. It's called uh, SpoonRadio.com. We go down, we have like 450 episodes, a lot of stuff. And But that's one of the things we talk about. About a lot is how all three of us, and we're like, I'm the oldest one. I'm t- I'm ten years older than everybody else, and we're all like old men yelling at clouds. That's where we're at now. Well, it, there's worse places to be. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about a couple other things. Yeah. During my college years, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles loved mm-hmm. Michelangelo. So you were Michelangelo. So that was that was just really cool. That's all. I don't have. In I don't have. What in the movie? In, in the, the movie. movie, yeah, in the movie, in yeah. the movie, the live they action real movie. actors for the cartoon. Right, right, right. I'm talking about the live action movie. Yeah, uh, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja, two Secret of Ooze, and then three. Yeah, and then, and then three, which is actually my favorite and everyone's least favorite. But you know, that's how that goes. Story of my life. Because <laughs> it's the one that you know they said you can. There's a lot of improvisation that I was allowed to do, and they were like, "We have a lip flap. We don't know what to put there." I'm like, "Sit down and watch the master work." Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a that's another one of those things. You know, I, speaking of the brand thing from earlier. I jokingly have for years said, yeah, I should have marketed myself as, okay, here's the thing. I know of at least three jobs that I did that arguably achieved some sort of iconic status. So it follows then, doesn't it? That if you put me in your show, the chances of your show becoming iconic go up at least one Robbie. Ipso facto. 
Right. I get if it. So facto, it would it would appear so that at least your chances are better. Doesn't mean it'll happen, but maybe it, you know, maybe your your chances are better. I won't disagree with that. I won't disagree well, with that. You know, Between yeah, you, Corey it, Feldman, and you know, those are it was the voices really made those movies, I think. So I mean the 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 puppetry and all that and the you know how they did the the turtles. I still get cool. told I'm everybody's favorite Michelangelo. What I mean, whatever that means, that's very flattering and very nice. Although I was at an autograph signing, uh, Rob Eastman. No, Rob. He played uh, one of the turtles. I, uh, oh. Rob Paulson. God oh. bless America. I only, I guess, I, you know, I haven't seen him in three months. So why would his name be? In right, there? right. So anyway, Rob Paulson. He plays one of the turtles. He does this uh, charity event every year for Toys for Tots at the Improv in uh, Los Angeles. And this particular year, he had every turtle he could get his hands on. So there was me and Greg uh, Sipes and, uh, you know, he was there and a couple of the other voiceover people that did it. So while I'm signing, you know, my thing, uh, Greg Sipes is talking to Kevin Eastman just over my shoulder. Uh, you know, not, they're not trying to have me hear them. I do, you know, I'm just aware of the fact they're having a conversation. And then as I'm signing, I hear behind it, oh yeah, but you're my favorite Michelangelo. And I almost went, oh, thank you. And then I went, oh, he's not talking to me. So... <laughs> Oh, man. That is so I guess Greg Sipes is his favorite one. Fine. So Whatever, Kev. Kevin Clash was Splinter? Yes. He was also Mega Shredder. Interesting. Elmo was Splinter. Very cool. Okay. Yeah, I, I just uh, I just met him uh, at a con a couple years ago. First time. Really nice dude. And Sam, Sam Rockwell was in that original one, too. I Crazy, right? Yeah, in one of his first things. So that's pretty awesome. And then it was funny because I was doing, as I was just, as I stumbled on the whole origin of the turtles while I was just looking up some stuff. And that it's supposedly that the ooze is the same waste that made Matt Murdock daredevil. I didn't realize that. What? They don't call it out, but I guess it's implied. Like they, they oh, that's hilarious. So, and it's all based. It's all like the like Daredevil fights the hand, and the turtles fight the foot. It's all kind of like a, a thing. Oh on, wow! On yeah. Daredevil. So I learned that this connecting of universes thing that you know you comic book people do. That's just crazy now. <laughs> oh, and then you were on to tell the, the truth, the game yeah. show. That was uh-huh. that was pretty cool. So I love that show. It's just it's fun. Uh, I was uh, so a friend of mine who is a comic, was the warm-up comic that day. And so I'm there on the panel. We're getting ready to shoot. And I was on to tell the truth twice, I think, actually, because once in the 90s, and I was just in it like a year or two ago. So the first one, I'm uh, on there with a, a guy named Malcolm Bondon, who was the winner of the Nickelodeon biggest television fan on the planet contest at the time. And we're ready to get start shooting. And my friend in the comic who's been worrying up the audience crossing across the set sees me and goes, Robbie? I'm like, Shut up! yeah, almost gave it away. And I still fooled them all because they all thought it was me. nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. And on my second one, they were trying to say who was the, you know, the turtle. And I fooled them into thinking that it wasn't me. I think really if the world wants a grasp, like if you're making a movie and you're thinking about putting me in it and you want to see the, the scope of my talent, just watch both of my uh, To Tell the Truth episodes. There you go. And then I did have a question. I found this random trivia uh, and I was just curious if it's true. Did you not get the role in Dinosaurs, the Disney show, because of your voice work with Michelangelo? That's a really good question. I don't know why I didn't get it. I'm disappointed that I didn't get it. I mean, Robbie as Robbie, it's like it was meant to happen. 
But uh, I don't know. Where did you dig that up? I know. I read that. I just as I was because I was talking to Stuart Pankin, and so I was just doing some research on dinosaurs. And one of the random things it said is that because of your voice work, they were afraid people would hear that voice in this character. I had no idea. Well, that's guess what? I have five new part of my story now. That's great. That's hilarious. Yeah, because I sound probably sounded too much like a dude, and they, you know, yeah. There you go. All right. Well, I'm. Sorry to break that to you. Uh, no, no. Actually, it, it explains a lot and makes me feel better about not getting it. Because I was like, I was crushing that thing. Yeah. Oh, see, this is why the universe brought us together. Yeah. I also wanted to uh, talk about, you mentioned monster movies earlier. I don't know if this totally qualifies as a monster movie, but Sharknado. Yeah. I I love Sharknado. <laughs> like, I love all the movies. I do, too. They're my favorite. Actually, Oh, go ahead. Finish your point. I was no. saying, like, I haven't aired it yet, but I, I had like an hour plus conversation with Thunder Levin. <laughs> we went through the first four Sharknados. Yeah. I know you were in the first one, and I know I'm you know the, the director. And the sixth one, right, is part of Quince, right? Yeah. But in the first one, you die, but you, I, you don't die by a shark. I would just, I want. I'm the only, I'm among the only actors in those movies who doesn't die by shark. I know. In that one. How does that make yeah, you feel? I, I mean, everyone, because like, it became a thing. Well, shark. when you were in Sharknado, it wasn't a thing yet. It became, two was more of a thing. And then by three, four, five, six, it was just every person. Yeah, yeah. Then it was all, you know. Right. I, and it's it's a drag, too, because Anthony Ferrante, okay, I've known him for a long time. We're friends. But if he was terrible at his job, I'd also go, God, he makes shitty movies. Because, I, you know, I'm unafraid of never working again. My career's over. It doesn't matter. So, but with Anthony, uh, you know, I've known him for a really long time. And I believe that the entertainment industry would do well to give him more money and latitude with how that money is spent. Because Anthony, and the only reason any of those movies are any good at all is because Anthony never gave up on caring about them. Even though everyone else was like, let's get the goofy person from the, you know, from the the video show that's on YouTube. Like all of the cameo bullshit and all of that at the very center of it is a movie that he's really trying to make and they took days away from him like on all of these movies they start with like a 19 there he's shooting 300 million dollar movies in 19 well less than 19 days because they start at 19 and then they start taking days away from him i think two was done in 15 days among the things he did was created an entire action sequence from the ground up in the time it took to go from the Staten Island ferry to the statue. This man is a, is so gifted and nobody in that universe, nobody in, in the universe of Sharknado really saw what the thing could have been. They were just obsessed with, you know, let's do another goofy kill. And really irritates the crap out of me because I would like to see Anthony unleashed. I would like them to, like, here's the thing. If they knew what the hell they were doing, there could have been a big screen version of this where they actually spent the money. And it would have been hilarious. It would have been the best straight-faced disaster movie parody you've ever seen in your life. And it's so frustrating to me that they could have made it so much more than it was. And Anthony tried and he tried and he tried. As it turns out, not a bad legacy, but even so. Oh. No, it's great. If you can, if you, I don't know if you can see right above my head at the Sharknado. It's, it's kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, you're, it's you're, a, you're, you're small. 
Ah. Oh, right. I don't know if you can see it above my head on the. On oh, the, there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I it's can. signed by Ian Ziering and Tara Reid. <laughs> oh, right on. Yep. It's super fun. I yeah, I love it. Your scene always cracked me up because the Ian Ziering played it so straight the whole movie, which is one of the things yeah. I think that made it work so well. But just I love your scene is so funny because the water is coming up. You're the bus driver, just so everyone knows who is reflecting back in the movie. You have the bus full of kids, and Ian Ziering, Finn Shepard, just happens to have. All the repelling equipment needed <laughs> to go above and repel down and save literally every single person. Full on. Just, oh, I just have that. I have that in my trunk. <laughs> good thing he's a surfer. He was yeah. in good shape. No, I couldn't do that. It was yeah. fine. And then you did a lot of the music. You did the music for Sharknado. And actually in all of Anthony's movies, whenever there's a pop song being played, it's Anthony and I. He, we've done, I, I think there's 60 songs for all the Sharknado movies. Plus, like he has a movie called Headless Horseman that was on sci-fi. We did music for that. I just did a couple songs for his new movie called The Knicks. We wrote two songs for a Western that he did last year. Uh, you know, he basically, he comes to me and goes, look, I want to do this Aerosmith song in my movie, but I can't afford the licensing on an Aerosmith song. So we write an Aerosmith song. And, you know, that's it, it's a way of, of saving money, actually. Oh, that's pretty cool. I remember watching yeah. it because the, the opening sequences are so great. And they kept getting better, actually, as the movies went on. Yeah. And I remember going, oh, the band's name is Quint. That's clever. Because, you know, and then finding out go. that was you. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Anthony, actually, it's his idea. I, I'm terrible at naming things. I have a band called Ballsy Tomorrow. See what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> let, let Anthony name the bands. We'll let Anthony name the band. <laughs> you know, Anthony's way more talented than anybody. Like, maybe one day everyone's going to find out. But we've done... He did like I've done a lot of songs that I'm super proud of that I never would write if it wasn't for Anthony. You know, I come from a cheap trick kind of beatle kind of rock place. You know, I just wrote a, uh, a 40s style big band song for him for his last thing. He's really, Anthony Fronte has made me better at what I do. That's really cool. It's, it's yeah. great that you have a, just a, a creative collaborator like that. Yeah. Oh, for two, for two, there is uh, the last song over the credits is, you know, he wanted New York, New York and couldn't get it. So we wrote, I'm going to take a bite out of the Big Apple before it takes a bite out of me. <laughs> it's hilarious. It's really funny. By the way, speaking of bits in these movies, there is a great Warner Brothers cartoon piece, I think in three. Is that the one where they go to space at the amusement park? Uh, I think space so. was four. Four, four, yeah. Okay. So there's a loop roller coaster and there's a shark, a shark in one of the cars and it goes around the loop and goes up, but can't catch the person. It swings right, right, back right. and does it three times. It's classic Warner Brothers. Just amazing. Tell Anthony I love all the movies. They're great. I'm a, you know, I'm a B-movie fan anyway. You know, when those things came around, I was working on a, uh, I was trying to sell a, I, I made a horror movie around that time called Stump the Band. It's a, it's about a female rock band that gets attacked by three guys who collect women's feet. It's on YouTube. You can, you can see it. So I was trying to sell it at this uh, Santa Monica film, you know, like a little mini con thing. And I was passing by the asylum booth because I like genre films. I like big bug movies. I like you know, nature run amok, all of that stuff that, you know, disaster, all good for me. I'm passing by and they had a poster already. It said Sharknado 
enough said. And I quite literally poked my head into the office and went, excuse me. Everyone was talking. I'm like, excuse me. Dead silence. Is this movie about sharks and tornadoes? And somebody looked at me quizzically and went, yeah. I went, thank you. And I walked out and the nine-year-old in me was screaming all the way to the car. I was just like, that is amazing. It is the greatest idea I've ever heard. I'm like, ah! Oh my God. I I couldn't agree with you more. (laughs) Oh no. We we were working on Hansel and Gretel at the time, which is the asylum. You know, also they do these nature run amok movies, but they also do B versions of movies that are available time. There was a Hansel and Gretel movie out. He made one too. Uh, And while we're making it, we're working on a song. Uh, He was like, yeah, you know, I'm thinking around for my next project. And the asylum said, Hey, do you want to do Sharknado? And I, leapt up out of my chair and I grabbed him by the lapels and I said, I don't know why, but you have to make this movie. And if you do, I have to be in it. He very gently grabbed my wrists and pulled them away from his lapel and said, oh, okay. I don't think that he did the movie because I suggested, you know, I was going to be physically violent with him if he didn't. But I, I definitely did tell him that. I'm like, you have to do this. I don't know why, but there's something about, because the word Sharknado says more that about what you need to know about the movie than a trip to the Bountiful does. It was a brilliant marketing, everything. The it's visual, up, everything just was... Amazing. Just amazing. Yeah, I mean, it just blew up. Well, the time has just flown by. I, I can't thank you for hanging out with me, Robbie. We can do it again someday. You know, I'm around. I'll just, I might be late again. <laughs> that would be amazing. We, there's so much. We, we'll do a whole hour on Galactica. 1980 next time. Yeah, might as well. Yeah. Wouldn't you know it? I get on the crappy one. Oh, fine. Great. (laughs) I'm on the crappy Galactica. Like it's a show about, about it's wagon train in space. Wagon train is never supposed to get to the wagon train destination. That's how you tell that story. Didn't you ever see star lost? Jesus. They blew it. And that's why it didn't go. But you were only in like the, I think the first three, like there, and then they. Yeah, I know. Then I got replaced. By someone named Patrick Stewart, not the same one. Weird. Weird, weird, yeah. weird. Just more of my, boy, when I write that book, every every chapter's going to end with weird, right? So weird. Hey, we're, tell everyone where they can find you on the webs and socials. You know, the requisite uh, places, Instagram, Facebook, thespoonradio.com, robbyrisk.net. I'm starting a little political action group selling t-shirts called Lean Florida Left. What else am I doing? I'm trying to get a bunch of animated stuff off the, I don't know, I'm easy to find and I'm fairly available. Just find me. Just find him, Robbie it's Rist. Not that, it's not that hard. It's not that hard. And as opposed to most people who do this thing, I'm like, what do you want with me? Fine. I'll answer a question. I don't care. <laughs> No reason I should be here anyway. So everything is gravy. Well, I'm happy you're here. It was gravy. Me too. Very much gravy. Thank you so much. It was it yeah. was really fun. Yeah, well, and uh, one of my closest friends is from Toledo. And I have been to Detroit to be on the Mitch Album show. Oh, yeah, Mitch Album. Yeah, yeah. Long time ago. The building that his radio show was in was, I guess, one of the former car buildings. I have never seen a more beautiful blue tile mosaic lobby in i was like dumbs i just said can we just stay here just run a mic down i just want to be in this lobby and look at the i was gorgeous that's awesome that's my man. detroit story that's not a very good one but it's well really yeah but i guess that's all we got we'll take it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> robbie thank you so much thank you sir 
All right. How amazing was Robbie Wrist? It's a rare interview where I can't keep up with the trivia being thrown out by my guests, but Robbie had me bested a few times there. Super fun talking to Robbie, who doesn't love Cousin Oliver. I know. Go tell everyone, hey, go listen to Jeff's podcast. Cousin Oliver was on Jeff's podcast. All right, well, that was super fun. Check out Robbie's website to keep up with Robbie. And also, now that you have all the facts, you can make your own decisions about Cousin Oliver syndrome and whether Cousin Oliver did or did not take down the Brady Bunch. You know what team I'm on. I'm on team Robbie Riss. He didn't, but he loves the fact that people think he did. So anyway, that was cool. All right. Well, with the interview over, it can only mean one thing. That's right. It's time for another trending hashtag from the family of hashtags at hashtag roundup. Download the free hashtag roundup app at the Google Play Store or iTunes App Store. Follow us on Twitter at hashtag roundup. Tweet along with us and one day one of your tweets may show up on a future episode of Classic Conversations. Fame and fortune await you. All right, the hashtag for this episode is hashtag modern Brady Bunch plots. Originally brought to us by hashtag Giants, a game on hashtag roundup. We're going deep into the archives for this one, all the way back to 2019 for modern Brady Bunch plots. Let's take the Brady Bunch into the 2000s with these updated plot points. Tweet your own hashtag modern Brady Bunch plots tweet. Tag us at Jeff Dwoskin Show on Twitter. I'll show you some Twitter love. All these tweets I'm about to read are retweeted at Jeff Dwoskin Show. Show them some Twitter love. All right, let's give the Schwartzes some Brady Bunch fodder for an update of the ages with these hashtag modern Brady Bunch plots tweets. Marsha got the credit for Jan's tweet. Oh, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Carol Brady is caught in a cheating scandal to get Jan into UC Berkeley. Oh, sometimes moms will just do anything for their daughters. The Brady house is featured on Fixer Upper, and they finally get a toilet. Finally. They don't have to be backed up anymore. Marsha gets an iPhone 11, while Jan is forced to use Marsha's old iPhone 8. Oh, that's so typical of Marsha to do to Jan. These are some amazing hashtag modern Brady Bunch plots. But there's more. Peter turned the tiki statue into a bowl for his medical marijuana. Cracker Jack personal injury lawyer Bobby defies the statue of limitations and sues Marsha's plastic surgeon for a botched rhinoplasty after the football incident. Oh, my nose. Oh, my nose. Call your lawyer. Marsha becomes a social media influencer. Amazing hashtag modern Brady Bunch plots. The Bradys get laughed off stage at America's Got Talent when it's time to change. No esports in the house. That's a good rule. The entire family is looking down at their phones at dinner. Well, can you blame them? Alice made pork chops and applesauce again. And our final hashtag modern Brady Bunch plots tweet. Cousin Oliver starts his own YouTube channel. Oh, all right. I think it's time to bring the Brady Bunch back. All right. Floyd Schwartz is listening. And why shouldn't he be? He was featured in a previous episode of the podcast. Let's reboot the Bradys. Let's get this going. All right. Well, with the hashtag over and the interview over, it can only mean one thing. Episode 152 has come to an end. Can't believe it. Another one has come and gone. So excited to share this with you. Special thanks to my guest, Robbie Rist. And of course, thanks to all of you for coming back week after week. It means the world to me. And I'll see you next time. 
so much for listening to this episode of Classic Conversations. If you like what you heard, don't be shy and give us a follow on your favorite podcast app. Also, why not go ahead and tell all your friends about the show? You strike us as the kind of person that people listen to. Thanks in advance for spreading the word, and we'll catch you next time on Classic Conversations. Classic Conversations.